please stand as you are able for today's New Testament lesson from the book of Acts, chapters 20, verses 17 to 38. From Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus, asking the elders of the church to meet him. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly and from house to house, as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And now as a captive to the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am not responsible for the blood of any of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Keep watch over yourselves and over the flock, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own Son. I know that after I have gone, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Some, even from your own group, will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to warn everyone with tears. And now I commend, to you, I commend you to God and to the message of his grace, a message that is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. For he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt down with them all and prayed. There was much weeping among them all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving especially because of what he had said, that they would not see him again. Then they brought him to the ship. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Jeff, for reading our lesson, and I want to add my word of greeting to that of Casey's. It's so good to see each of you on this Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And those of you online, it's such a privilege to be in your home with you. Uh, we're remembering all of you wherever you are this week as you travel and uh, perhaps as you go to visit or others to visit you. Uh, our prayers are with you as we celebrate 
this special time of Thanksgiving together and also as we look forward next week to the first Sunday of Advent. And I uh, am one in particular who's looking forward after having missed it last year to our Advent concert that will be three times uh, next Sunday, the Youth Advent Concert in the Narthex at 3.30, 5 and 7. You will want to remember that, especially next week as we gather to light the first candle of Advent the candle of hope. We'll also be doing a series on the prophetic voices that uh, look into the future of the coming Messiah. We're doing a series called Wishful Thinking beginning next week, and we hope that you'll join us wherever you are in person or online uh, as we begin that season of Advent together. Well, we've come to the end of this series called With Open Hands. In fact, uh, if you do the math, since August the 8th, we've spent now 16 weeks in the book of Acts. We did 11 weeks in a series called Empowered, and then we started about a month ago this five-week series, stewardship series, called With Open Hands. And what, Jeff, what you read for us today is actually a farewell scene between the Apostle Paul and the leaders of the church in Ephesus. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but Paul spent more time in Ephesus than in any other city in which he planted a church. He was there for no less than three years. And if you remember from last week, it didn't end well in Ephesus. We saw that in Acts 19, that Paul's preaching and teaching in this church in Asia exposed the city's idolatry especially as it related to the manufacturing of statuettes and figurines you remember in honor of the goddess Artemis. And Paul's teaching had a negative impact on the Ephesian economy and when economy and theology confront with each other, you've got trouble. The result of that was the Chamber of Commerce in Ephesus essentially ran Paul out of town, but the church kept going. After fleeing Ephesus, we're told that Paul circled back through Macedonia and visited many of the churches that he had planted there, and then he set sail for Jerusalem. He was headed for Jerusalem because he was looking forward to celebrating the day of Pentecost there, the birthday of the church. And on his way, on his way to Jerusalem, he had a little layover in a place called Miletus, which is 30 miles south of Ephesus, and apparently they sent word to the Ephesian elders to come and see Paul. It may be your last time to see your pastor. And they came, and they bid him farewell. In fact, that text sort of functions as a last will and testament of a pastor to a fellowship that he dearly loved. What he's doing is he's passing the torch to the lay people. He's reminding them of what he taught them. He's reminding them of their future ministry together, and he's reminding them of the challenges that await him. And so this is a very emotional scene. It's a tearful goodbye. And, and I have to say that not every parting between pastor and a congregation is such an emotional thing. In fact, there are some who cry, and then there are some who sing the hallelujah chorus when the pastor leaves. But in any case, this is an emotional scene between a pastor who loved his people. By the way, I would also add that it's the only speech in Acts that Paul delivers to a group of believers. 
Every other speech that Paul makes in the book of Acts is a defense of the gospel to non-believers or to hostile antagonists. But this message in Miletus is for insiders. It's for the core. It's for the believers. It's for the leaders of the church. Paul speaks of his humble service, of course. He speaks of his costly endurance. He speaks of the dangers that he faced. Paul is never shy about sharing his hardships. And he speaks of his unceasing focus on Jesus. One of the things that you note about Pastor Paul is that he had absolutely no interest in self-preservation. He was not interested in self-preservation. He was interested in self-surrender. You know the name J.R.R. Tolkien. You remember who, who wrote the book The Hobbit and also Lord of the, Lord of the Rings. One of the quotes that I love by J.R.R. Tolkien is this, living by faith includes the call to something greater than cowardly self-preservation. I was in Atlanta Thursday and Friday. I did a wedding uh, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, at a former church that we served on Friday night for a young woman who is currently the director of the fan experience for the Atlanta Braves at Truist Park. In fact, as her daddy walked her down the aisle, there were several who were doing the tomahawk chop as she came down. Never seen that before, but it happened. And the scripture that she and her fiance chose to be read on her wedding day was from Philippians 2. I have never heard this text read at a wedding. And this is what it says. This is Paul writing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself in the form of a servant, becoming obedient even unto death on a cross. That's self-surrender. Paul embodied this attitude, this mindset, in his witness, in his lifestyle. And by the way, you can tell in his farewell to the Ephesian elders, he expected the church to do the same. He expected the lay people to have the same kind of witness. In fact, it's a part of our job description. The goal of a disciple is never self-fulfillment. It's self-emptying. The aim of a Christ follower, the objective of a Christ follower is to become self-fulfillment less. I think that's exactly what Paul meant when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, I must die every day to myself. Of course, that line echoes Jesus' command, if anyone comes after me, let him or her deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, I may be wrong about this, but but I have found out the hard way sometimes that it is detrimental mentally, spiritually, and emotionally when we become self-preoccupied. 
when we become self-absorbed. Some of you remember the name, the psychiatrist Carl Menninger, who wrote a book called Whatever Became of Sin. Late psychiatrist of the mid-20th century was one day asked by someone, what should a person do when you're on the verge of a nervous breakdown? And this was his reply. Lock your house, go across the railroad tracks, find somebody in need, and do something for them. Interesting advice. It was Carl Menninger who, by the way, also was quoted as having said, love cures people, both the ones who give it and the ones who receive it. In this farewell passage, there's one key verse that really I think is the key to the whole passage. It's verse 35. In all of this, says Paul, I have given you an example that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Did you know that that is the only direct quote of Jesus that Paul cites in the whole book of Acts? Paul gives nine speeches in the book of Acts, and this is the only direct quote from Jesus that he cites in the book. That's interesting. He never quotes the Sermon on the Mount. He never quotes the Great Commandment, the Golden Rule, the parables, the Good Samaritan, the prodigal. And furthermore, you don't find this particular quote of Jesus in any of the four Gospels. That's just interesting. But this word came from the lips of Jesus, and it became Paul's life verse. In fact, it was the refrain by which he lived. It is more blessed to give than receive. What does it mean? The word for blessed, blessed in the Greek language is makarios. You know what that means? It means fortunate. It, it means to be favored. It actually means to be happy. Now, I've noticed, I, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but I've noticed that people who are especially generous people are by nature more happy than other folks. I was reading the other day a quote from John Stuart Mill, who was a 19th century economist, who once theorized that human beings are creatures that long to obtain the greatest amount of necessities, conveniences, and luxuries with the smallest quantity of labor and physical self-denial. That's, that's a pretty negative quote. It, in essence, what Mill believed is that people inherently want maximum benefit for minimal sacrifice. And I think he's dead wrong. If you believe that you're made in the image of God, who is the source of every good and perfect gift, if you believe in the source, which is God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, then we who are his offspring as image bearers of God are hardwired to be generous. We're just wired that way. That's what it means, really, to be fully human, made in the image of God. The late writer Mark Fisher 
coined an interesting term that I had not heard before called depressive hedonia. Now you recognize the word hedonia, hedonism, pleasure-seeking. Mark Fisher in this term described it as an inability to do anything else except pursue pleasure. Now it sounds like a toddler who hasn't quite grown up, but you see this from time to time. Said Fisher, there is a sense that something is missing, but there's no appreciation that this mysterious missing joy can only be accessed beyond the pleasure principle. For example, he says, a love of money and the act of hoarding as much as possible for myself actually enslaves us or shackles us to this futile pursuit of pleasure. On the other hand, he says that neuroscientific research is showing us today that when we give generously, that there are parts of the midbrain that are activated, the same parts that are associated with processing rewards, and it begins to release dopamine, which is the happy chemical. So if you follow the science, understand that the science is following the theology that we're actually hardwired by God to be generous. That's what it means to be fully human. That's what it means to be a disciple, to share. In Paul's letter to Timothy, who ironically, at the time that Paul wrote, was living in Ephesus, he gives to his successor a word of warning. This is in 1 Timothy 6. And by the way, in the new year, we're going to do a series on 1 Timothy called Love Uncontaminated, which is a phrase that's used by Paul in the first chapter. But in 1 Timothy 6, Paul gives a word of warning to his protege in the faith. This is it. Listen to this. Command those who are rich in this present world, I might translate it, command those who live in Williamson County not to be arrogant, but to put their hope in wealth, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put our hope in God, who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. For in this way, Timothy, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, I think that that kind of generosity is a form of liberation. <laughs> it's a form of freedom. It's a way of not only opening the heart and the mind, but the hands to give and to receive. Now, you've probably noticed this. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you give of yourself, when you go a second mile for somebody, when you give your time or your energy or your attention or your money or your love, have you ever noticed that, that you are the one who actually gets the blessing? That's by design. That's one of the reasons I love to go to Chick-fil-A occasionally. This is known, Brentwood Church is known as the church across from Chick-fil-A, of course. I live for the day when that will be the Chick-fil-A across the street from Brentwood Church, that we can identify it that way. 
But one of the things I love about going to Chick-fil-A, even if, if it's for lemonade, is that whenever you go in and order, when they bring you your food and you say thanks, what do they say? My pleasure. My pleasure. I have no idea, it's probably good training, but someone has taught them to believe that it's actually a blessing to serve. I know it's good for business, of course, but I'll tell you, it's even better for the soul. And it is a greater blessing to the one who serves than the one who gets served. Think of what Jesus said, the Son of God who left heaven to come to be with us. I have come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a gift for many. We're hardwired that way. Betsy Butler is an associate pastor at a church in Athens, Georgia, the intellectual capital of the world, of course, where the University of Georgia is in Athens. Go dogs. Uh, she runs a, a feeding program in Athens in a little village, a little neighborhood there called Bethel. A lot of folks who are struggling there. It, it's, it's a neighborhood where the church has been engaging. It's kind of like Harvest Hands in a way, where they've been engaging with people who are struggling, helping them with food, employment, and child care. And Betsy, who's the associate, told me recently that they've been involving some of the women in that area in actually making and serving the food, not just receiving it, but also serving it. And Betsy said one of those women, whose name is Tracy, has kind of taken a leadership role in serving, and on her first day, as she was standing behind the glass, dishing out meat and veggies to those in need, she looked at Betsy and she said, Pastor, it sure is nice to be on this side of the serving line. It sure is nice. She knew what it was to receive, but now this woman who has received is doing the giving, and it's utterly transforming in her life. I don't know why this is, but it is that sometimes we think in our minds that we have very little to give, and we occasionally live by the myth of what I call win-then. In other words, when I have more to give, then I'll give more. But generosity isn't born out of abundance. Generosity is born out of trust. Trust in God who is our provider, our source, our strength, our rock, the air that we breathe, and he is able to do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine even in our serving, in our sharing. Last word. One of my retired preacher friends who lives in North Georgia is in a men's group. Uh, he's watching this morning. He's a part of a book club, and so they gather about once a month to do their spiritual reading and then discuss how the book helps them to intersect their witness with the world. And he told me recently that one of the men in the group, who happens to be a doctor, a retired doctor, had lost his wife to cancer. She too was a doctor. They met in medical school, fell in love. They were married for over 35 years. Tremendous loss, deep grief. 
One of the guys in the group asked him, Doc, how are you holding up? And he said, well, it's, it's been hard. I, I lost the love of my life, but I haven't lost the love in my life. I lost the love of my life, but I've never lost the love in my life. Nothing can ever take that away. When we receive love, it remodels your life. It remakes us. And we actually become loving and generous. And our hands begin to open to receive and to give in selfless ways. On the other side of the serving line, in a way that not only blesses others, we're the fortunate ones. We're the ones who are blessed. And it becomes for us not a burden. It's our pleasure. We're just wired that way to the glory of God. May it be so for each of us, for God's glory, in Christ's name.